standard issue for all women. Morning, afternoon, evening, night champs, whichever one it is, welcome. Welcome to the Sunday Chops. This week we have an extended interview with the brilliant Helen Wormsley-Johnson about Look What You Made Me Do, her memoir that deals with domestic abuse, specifically coercive control in relationships. It's a devastating but must read. There was a lot of stuff that I certainly nodded along to in recognition. It's available from all bookshops and booksellers now and I very much suggest that you get a hold of a copy and have a read. There are loads of chops for you to get your ears round. They cover everything from politics to sport to entertainment. Hannah's chat with the brilliant Monica Dolan is excellent. Jen's chatted to some extraordinary sportswomen, including Judy Murray and Claire Balding, and also Paula Maguire, whose big fat swim around Britain is about to kick off. She's still in training for that, and I think it happens in April, so that one is definitely worth a listen. And maybe chuck a little bit at her crowdfunder, because she's doing great things for charity. I've chatted to our Sarah, and also to Rayel, and we chatted about anxiety and how to deal with it. As ever, if you like what we do, please tell a friend, share the love, and if you have time and can go on iTunes and rate and review us, that is really, really helpful. Five is our favourite number of stars. Enough of me wanging on. Let's get to Helen. Hello, we are joined in the studio by the wonderful Helen Wormsley-Johnson, writer. You used to write for us at Standard Issue, didn't you, Helen? I did. I used to write a lot about cats and countryside. Well, I mean, what Best is not things to, to write about. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Helen's in to talk about her new book. It's a memoir called Look What You Made Me Do. It's about domestic violence and coercive relationships. It was the Archers that kicked it off. You know, if you're looking for pivotal moments in your life, the Archers isn't something that springs immediately to mind. But I'm so keen on the Archers because we used to join in with the um, Sunday morning omnibus and the tweet along, which is always huge fun and very sweary and and rude and, and funny. It was interesting to me that when... Rob Titchener first pitched up, he was presented as this sort of tall, dark and handsome. In fact, the thing on the BBC website says tall, dark and handsome, successful dairy manager brought in. It was clearly going, you know, I thought, how Mills and Boone can you get? It was clearly going to be a, a romantic interest for somebody and everybody on the Twitter feed were going, oh, he's lovely lovely voice and isn't he he must be handsome and he's just right for Helen because he was sort of making overtures to Helen but he was married he'd arrived in England without his wife who was supposed to be joining him later he had conversations with Helen where it was on you know the, the the that old chestnut my wife doesn't understand me and I was thinking oh he was telling her I think how lonely he was and they ended up in a sort of a clinch And then they sort of started an affair and then he dropped her before Christmas. Then he picked up with her again, all because he said he was desperately in love with her, but it was such a surprise and he had no control over his feelings. He wasn't looking for this and he was, you know, all very reluctant about it. The little things that he was doing, she cooked him a tuna thing for supper and he... It became known as Tunagate on Twitter because he suddenly said, you know, I don't like tuna. He'd never told her that before. I hate tuna, can't eat it, makes me ill. So this lovingly prepared meal was was junked and I thought, well, that sounds familiar. He made her change out of a dress on New Year's Eve. He said it was too revealing. We didn't make her, actually, because that's the thing about coercive control, which is what this kind of domestic violence is. 
is that it's it's fairly low key. So he didn't make her at that point. He suggested to her that it might be too revealing and he would be much happier if she changed. So like she Starting changed. to mess with her mind. You yes. sowed the seeds yes. of doubt. Sowed the seeds of doubt, yes. Because, doubt. because they sort of lead you along the path, but... Alarm they, bells went off a lot quicker for you than the other people on the tweet feed, though, didn't they? they yeah, I, I sort of had this this moment where uh, I think it was at the Tuna Bake, actually, <laughs> Tuna, Tuna Gate, Gate where I, I sort of a whole shed load of pennies dropped in my head. And I, it started me thinking about a relationship that I hadn't talked about in over a decade because I couldn't bring myself to think about it. But what I did have from that was... And I don't know why, and I, I say this in the introduction of the book, that I don't know why I kept all this stuff. We used to write to each other a lot, and then there were emails and faxes, and I got my diary entries, and we had notebooks where, you know, I'd leave a notebook on the kitchen table and I'd write a note to him, and then he'd write a note back to me. So I'd got all this stuff that was actually his voice. I'd sort of told myself that this had been my great love affair but when I sorted it out into date order, first because it was all sort of jumbled up and stuffed in a bag, and, and put it in a lever arch file in date order and read it through, and I could see exactly what had happened. And the thing with coercive control is the pattern. The pattern doesn't matter when it happened. If you think of Henry VIII and Catherine Howard, it was the same thing. If you think of Ruth Ellis and David Blakely, it was the same thing. It's The pattern is exactly the same. The circumstances might be different, but it's this sort of rush-you-off-your-feet thing. I've got letters that are so, oh, you're so beautiful, I love you so much, I can't believe, you know, this is really... Because Frank, uh, not his real name, was engaged to somebody when we met, and he told me that right at the beginning. So, so he could say, you know, well, I told you about this, I was honest, you know. It's always a reluctant, you know, I don't want to do this, but the so sort of implying that you're so wonderful, so beautiful, so funny and clever that he just can't help himself. He's not in control He's of himself. He's not in control And of whose himself. fault is that? And that's mine, yeah. yeah. Or yours. Was he actually engaged to somebody else? Well, I don't know, because I, when I sort of got to the end of, of all this, I realised that I actually know very little about him that I could ever say absolutely categorically that is true it becomes clear in the book that he wants access to absolutely every facet of your life and not just yes. access it becomes yes. control like your bank yes. accounts everything yeah but he gave so little of himself, of himself. away yeah yeah and that's how he that's got that control yes, that's right but they you see you you wouldn't touch them with a barge pole if they were the way they are in the end right at the beginning mm -hmm. but it starts so Frank came into my life at a time that was a very difficult time for me. I had friends, I got a social life, I got my children. I was I was doing well. I wasn't actually looking for a long-term relationship, but I was looking for a diversion. And Frank was the diversion. You tell yourself you're a grown-up. You know, I was in my 40s and 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 I got almost grown-up girls and you think, well, yeah, it's going to be a bit of fun. I can handle this. But I did look at him um, the morning after we spent the first night together and had a flash of what you might call intuition and thought to myself, he's going to break your heart. And I thought, I won't let him. But then you get swept along with it because it was what I needed at the time. And it's what 
I think any woman who falls into this needs at the time is somebody who will sort of make it all go away. And the kind of man, because we're talking about, but well, the kind of person who yeah, does it this is usually men. But, it is but, usually men. But it is. But you do get it the other way as well. I think but, we probably don't know. I think men find it much harder to admit. Women can't admit that it's happened. It's the shame of it. But I think men probably find it harder because it is so alien to the culture around being a man. So you can't say you've been manipulated and coerced by a woman if you're a man. So I think it's much harder. The person perpetuating this kind of abuse, though, I think absolutely has an eye for the vulnerability in the other person. And they hone in on it. However well you think you've covered it up. Absolutely. There are little things that give you away, I think. I don't know what it was. I mean, he did write to me when we'd been together for over a year, I think. I'd said something to him about that. And he said, he said, you're right to say that the fact that you needed me attracted me even more. He admitted that, but I don't think he saw the significance of that. I don't think he understood that to take somebody... Um, put them so completely under your control is wrong. There were moments of physical violence as well, Mm. but you do concentrate on the coercive nature of how he controlled you. But down to, like, he made you lose weight. He made you, like, not hang out with your friends. He'd just turn up outside restaurants and be waiting outside the window, phoning you so you couldn't be Yeah, phoning me saying, where are you? And he could see me through the window. I think coercive control, it's not understood terribly well because the way we measure domestic violence still is in injury and bruising and and what you can see physically. And coercive control, that isn't the hallmark of it, but it will be used. I think it's inevitable that there will be violence in there because it's part of the pattern. But men like Frank don't need to use violence a lot. They do it just occasionally, just so that you know that they can. And I was listening to an interview on Radio 4 with Louisa Rolfe, I think it was, and she's the, um, I think she's a deputy chief constable. She's the lead for policing domestic abuse and the, the policy in the police force. She hit it on the head. She said, how do you police a look? And you can't, but the look is part of the pattern. If you're out somewhere and you're enjoying yourself a bit too much and you get the look, you immediately know what that means and you you stop straight away. And just occasionally, if you transgress, there will be violence. But the violence itself is also diminished. You know, so Frank called it a slap. You know, he said a slap is nothing compared to what you did to me, meaning I'd been horrible to him. But it wasn't a slap. It was a punch in the head. <laughs> or, um, he'd grab you by your hair and drag you He grabbed me by my house. hair. That happened a lot. I got dragged all over the place by my hair in, in the flat we shared. But his thing was strangling. I call it strangling. It's often referred to as choking. And uh, choking sort of diminishes it. Strangling is what it is. And it, strangling is, is something that doesn't often leave a mark. And any damage it does is internal to your throat. And there were two instances where you actually, you write down that you thought, that's it, I'm gone. Yeah, I did. I did. He's going to kill me. Yeah, yes. But at no point, because you were so in that relationship and the control was so complete, Mm. you didn't think to go to the police. That didn't cross your mind because you were just trying to fix it. Part of it as well is is um, it's the shame. It's the shame and the guilt. And you think that no one's going to take any notice of you because you've not been bounced around the furniture three times a week. Can I ask, when you say the shame, 
Do you mean the shame that you allowed it to happen or the shame that you're making a fuss about something that other people suffer worse or no, it's a combination the shame, it's of the, personal shame. It's the shame that you allowed it you're to allowing happen. You're allowing it to happen. And yeah. it's also that you've been told for weeks on end on, on a loop that you are worthless, pointless, you can't do things, you can't work, you can't... I, you know, I didn't breathe properly. I'd sit, I remember sitting on the sofa, you're not breathing properly. Well, I'm breathing. <laughs> How do you mean? He said, no, you're breathing in and out. You should be breathing up and down. What? <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd explain. You know, I don't, I don't understand that. Oh, you know, my feet, my feet pointing in, you know, kicking my feet. If my shoulder's rounded, which I do a lot, you know. They crack you on the back of the shoulders. Yeah, slap me they? between the shoulders, make me stand up straight. So it's a, and it, it's it's constant. And however, but he's just doing it to make you better. Yes, that's how it's presented. Yes, it, was, it will make you much better. You'll be improved. Yeah. So go to the gym and do these. Your, your diet was all set, and yes. what you were allowed to eat, and how yeah. many bench presses or whatever you were doing, yes. you had to do. And and the it, the I could only put. I tried to put in the whole of that. I think about three quarters through the book when he'd actually he was living in France again, and so he was controlling me from another country. <laughs> But but he would come back from time to time to check my progress. You know, there's always this sort of carrot dangle that you're going to be together. And oh, I love you, really. You know that. He sent me, it was four double-sided pages of A4 exercises over a five-day period. So everything for a five-day period, plus what I was supposed to be eating and the times I was supposed to be eating it. And while I was doing all this, I was supposed to be checking my heart rate as well. So he explained to me how I did that. And it was, I'm number blind. I can't, you know, and, and it was percentages of this and three times that. And and this is what you should be doing. And you should, because of you and your age, you should be working up to 75% of this maximum. So it's enough to, uh, Einstein could work it out. <laughs> Can I ask about something about his background? His sort of socio-economic background, what he did for a living. He was a company director, university educated. Certainly the company director bit was true. University educated, I've not seen an actual certificate, but I think that's, that's true. Sort of upper middle class, I should think. I don't want to make excuses for this man because he sounds inexcusable but i just wondered <laughs> if you ever got a sense for why he was the way he was did he ever display any kind of vulnerability that well he would he would display vulnerability when he thought he was losing control of me there would be what i would now describe as a tantrum there were a couple of occasions one in particular where he'd done the hair dragging thing and chucked me into the bedroom and I just sort of stayed there very quietly and I could hear him sobbing and he was he'd thrown himself on the floor and he was sobbing his heart out and you know a six foot plus man doing that and it's all your fault is heartbreaking I have been in a similar relationship mm. it wasn't as horrific as yours and Frank's but there were massive similarities that I was mm. nodding as I was reading this book mm. and I have women in my life who I know have been in similar situations mm. and that gaslighting that actually you're the one in the wrong yes they're the yeah. victim and those mm. sobbings or mm. well you make me ang- look what you made me do but also well you're the angry one in this relationship because mm. if you stick up for yourself then you're the angry one who's got mm. problems and if you cry then you're a hysterical mm. woman mm. and they can't mm. deal with you Yes, he talked about that. Yes, he's, uh, it was. I was looking for things that he's very careful about what he said about things in the letters. So about 
violence. And there was one thing that I sort of missed, which referred to, to that, you know, I mean, he he did say that he thought my hand, he looked at my handwriting, he said, well, that shows that you're mentally disturbed. And I thought, thank you, which has affected my handwriting ever since, because <laughs> I do things now both ways. I do, I flip things so that one way will be right, and I won't be in trouble for it. He wrote a sort of complicated thing that was, he said, if, if I hit you, and it's wrong anyway. Um, I thought, well, he's not said he did. He said if. And then he said, and when I do it, it, it is to calm your crises. Don't forget, he's, he's not English. His English is his second language. So it, to, calm, to calm me down, I'm a hysterical woman. So I need a slap to, to calm me down and stop me hurting myself. You know, it's, it's for protection. Really. I'm doing this for your own good. Yes. Well, basically, your behaviour, no matter how hard you tried. And in the book, you kind of go, I'm reading these letters that I have written and I am mortified that I have put myself in this position where I'm going, oh, please forgive me. And I remember like crying, please forgive me. And then you look back and I'm like, what the fuck? And so when people say, why doesn't she just leave, which is such an annoying sentence, I look back at my life and go, why the fuck didn't you just leave? I Mm. couldn't. I think I think. Um, so many of us. I th- I, this is the problem, and I'm sure it's it's a, a large part of the reason that we're seeing the figures sort of leap, the crime figures leap at the moment. Although coercive control is not one of those, but domestic abuse and rape and and things like that, we're we're seeing those figures go up and up and up because women are slowly losing the shame and embarrassment about admitting to to not having been able to walk away from it, and and you you've think well why why is that i couldn't have i couldn't have written this book when my father was still alive for example well see that is interesting because i i Mm. think uh, i mean i have some experience not Mm. actually personally but again people around me some of whom are currently still in those relationships which is quite upsetting but i think there is that situation in which you know a man i know will say to me that he he fails some sort of obligation to go around and sort this out for mm, his yes, sister, yeah, daughter, yes, whatever, whoever yes, it is you. Yeah. And the answer always is that is only going to make, make it, it worse. worse. Mm, and so yeah. it's it's not just that it'll be upsetting mm, to those people. It's mm, what reactions it's going mm, to set off mm, in those people. Mm, and the reaction being, oh, everybody in the pub was saying that I beat you. Or, yes. And it's, yes, it's yeah. the repercussions are always going to come back on the yeah, same person. Yeah. I, I, um, this is the problem with, um, stalking, which is now part of the coercive control. That came into play guide, last year, guidelines didn't it? for, yes, because it, it was, I think, as, as, I think I'm right in saying this, when the guidelines and the, and coercive control became law in 2015, stalking by somebody that you'd had a relationship with or that you knew wasn't considered to be a crime. That has been changed by the work that one charity, Paladin in, in particular, have, have done. In the book, I mention Alice Ruggles, who was killed by her boyfriend, and he had stalked her. She reported him. Police, I think, or anybody else, sometimes struggle to see what is so frightening about somebody driving 200 miles to leave a box of chocolates and a bunch of flowers on your windowsill. Actually, it's a bit creepy, yes, but they don't see that. So, well, would you like us to speak to him? God, no, because 
you know what he's going to well we can we can pick him up and serve one of these notices on him to desist these people it will not stop them doing that what if they're arrested are you going to be able to keep me safe when you let him go because when he comes out he is going to be mad as fuck and he's going to come after me and they don't it, that seems not to be understood which is why Alice Ruggles said no don't speak to him don't arrest him that his commanding officer did speak to him I think he was a soldier and he did speak to him but she couldn't see any way that she could be protected I at um, one point did phone the police because mm. of an incident that had happened mm. and by the time the police got there, mm. the man that we lived together, mm. he'd left. Mm. He'd driven off drunk mm. in our car. Mm. And the police, I was like, oh, it was a mistake, it was a mistake, because he's already phoning me going, I mm. can't believe you did that, mm. you're in so much trouble and mm. you, you don't love me, you wouldn't do this if you loved mm. me. And the police, I wouldn't let them in. Mm. I couldn't let them in because he'd locked me in the house and taken the keys. <laughs> and the police were, I was like, oh, it was a mistake, I shouldn't have phoned. They were like, we are not mm. leaving, love, you are terrified. Yeah. So they stayed yeah. for a while. Yeah. And he was like, tell me when they've gone, yeah. which I did. Yes. And a few weeks later, because they'd had to report mm. the incident, some mail arrived, two identical envelopes. Mm. And the one for me was about domestic abuse and how you should mm. get in touch with people. And I knew the other one would be for him mm. saying, you're kind of, we've noted yes. this. And so I just threw it away because yeah. I knew seeing it would make him yeah. angry with me again. Yeah, yes. How do you sort that out? There's a shocking conversation I, that, well, it shocked me anyway, that I, my dad was a policeman and I spoke to a senior policeman while I was researching the book and... I mentioned some figures that I'd seen that were shocking, which was about a woman suffering, I think, 35 incidents of violence before she goes to the police. And, Is that that's and, the general statistic? Yes, yeah, yeah. And it, uh, stalking's worse. It's 100 incidences of stalking before a woman will go to the police or wow. the victim will go to the police. 100 incidents. We have an amazingly high tolerance for sort of mad behaviour. Um, but this, this chap looked at me, he said, I'll tell you what's shocking. He said that 65% of women deliberately collapse the case so they can go back for more. I said, excuse me. So I thought, I'm not going to argue with, about this with you now. But so I went home where I felt safe and I emailed him and I said, can you point me in the direction of that? And it was in the a set of recently released crime statistics. When I actually unpicked it, it was not true at all. He'd sort of taken a headline and run with it. But actually the difference in statistics between violence that is domestic and violence from somebody that you don't know is only 5% of cases that get collapsed because the victim is unwilling to give evidence. And you thought, well, why is that? Because they're scared. Oh, or because they want to go or back because for they more. Want to go, yes. No, it's because yeah. I mean, they it's, don't see a way out. But it, it's, it's, it seems to me sort of symptomatic that those antediluvian attitudes to women and domestic violence still persist now, even now. Look what you made me do is classed as a memoir, but you have yeah. actually done lots and lots of research. There's loads of stats in there. I think the stats are very shocking and I think they speak to it. And I, I thought I kind of wanted people to be able to read it sort of two things, really. I mean, the stats are in there as well because they help break up the story a bit so you can have a breather. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> because when I started writing it, I thought, oh, 
This is going to be such. I tried to get some jokes in. I think I got. I think I got some. Well, in. your writing is warm and wonderful <laughs> but, and funny, and not not be too heavy-handed about it. You know, I I wanted I wanted it to feel as though I was having a conversation with somebody. I wanted them to, you know, understand I think that, that works. Definitely. Oh, yeah, thank you. I, I I wanted, and I want understanding. I, you know, I said at the beginning of the book, this is not about revenge. It's not about that. It's which is why everybody's been changed and anonymized, and it's been legaled up to the gunnels. It's about understanding. I want people to understand what it is, and that it can come in sort of varying degrees. But if you spot it, you need to be able to recognize it. We need to educate ourselves and stop this bollocks about perfect. Like I say, I, there's some people I feel that are in this relationship. Mm. They, they'll know better than me what mm. their relationship is, <laughs> so they'll already know that they're in it. But how do I help That's them to difficult. escape it? There's a line in Big Little Lies, Leanne Moriarty's uh, Celeste, who is absolutely not who you would think of as being a victim of domestic violence, being sort of very wealthy and extremely handsome husband. But she says, I was always waiting for someone to ask the right question, and they never did. And the right question is incredibly hard to do. Plus, when it's this kind of relationship or any kind of domestic violence thing, there's barely a minute when you are not being watched. So it's difficult for friends and family to safely intervene. So I would say, without hesitation, call Refuge or Women's Aid, call the helplines, look at the websites... I've seen the refuge call centre and they're there all the time and they are professionally trained and they're very discreet and they know how to drop the call quickly if somebody finds that you're doing it because that's the other thing, you can be discovered um, you're in trouble and ask them for advice and they will point you in the right direction. They're the people to speak to. They're experts on this stuff. They know how this shit works. The other thing that you touch on in Look What You Made Me Do is workplace bullying. Because yeah. at the same time as the whole shit show with Frank was going on. Yeah, how unlucky am I? <laughs> Double trouble, mate. <laughs> you were having a lovely time at work, weren't you? Oh, Hashtag yes. not a lovely time. No. But is that because of the vulnerability in... Because, you, you know, if you're talking about bullying or, or whatever, like, is that because they could see your vulnerability? Do you think that you become... More susceptible yeah, to Yeah, more susceptible. They do can because smell they blood. Can sniff it I, out. I think yeah. there is an element of that. I think there is an element of being a, like sharks. You can smell blood at three miles away. But the, I, also, worked... I think she just sounds like a prick, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, been, I'd been working for, for that hospital for eight years. So it wasn't as though she was somebody that I didn't know. But I think what happened, it was a combination of things there, if I'm a player amateur psychologist. I think she felt I needed taking down a peg because I'd got this sort of younger, good-looking French boyfriend who had taken me in hand and was making me look unlike anything I'd looked at. You know, my nose piercing had gone, my curly hair had gone. <laughs> so I looked completely different from when she'd first known me. But then there's also, I mean, it's, I, I can't really use the word blameless, but I, I did make mistakes. I was doing things wrong. I, I, when I've got all the documentation from, from that as well. And I was shocked to see in there that I had been recorded as being late 66 times. 
when I looked into a piece of research um, done into bullying in the NHS, that is the biggest red flag for domestic abuse that there is. That, really? That you, yeah, because the, the abuser will take your keys, he won't look after the children, he won't let you out of the house. In my case, I mean, Frank didn't want me to go to work, that's true. So he'd try and keep me at home, but I would have to, I knew I had, you know, I felt responsible. <laughs> I got patients and, and things to, to deal with and sort out. And I, I didn't want to lose my job. But he would keep me up half the night. Arguing. Arguing. So I'd be absolutely knackered in the morning and that would make me late for work. I mean, I do think that she exaggerated a little on some things, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was true. But given that I'd worked for eight years for them very well and with motivation and good organisation and freelance, so you've got nobody standing over you, you've got to be motivated to work well in, in those circumstances without any problems at all you have to wonder why it didn't cross their mind no. that there might have been mm. something not right somewhere that you was... do actually say as well that most of the women when they end up talking about what's happened mm. believe they've told people believe yes. there's been enough signals well you sort of hemorrhage clues yeah you hemorrhage clues i used to make jokes about frank you know, say, oh, he did this. Isn't it funny? You know, isn't it appalling? And, and laugh about it. Yeah, you do. You, you, there are so many giveaways. Is so that because you just so desperately want someone to... You want someone to take to, the decision yeah. out of your hands, I think. You want someone to say, look, I, I, I realise or I think something's not right. And I'm here if you want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, even if you're not going to leave, just having yeah. that sort yes, of Yes, just having, knowing boat. there's somebody else did there. Did anyone do it? Did anyone? I had a doctor say to me once after after a strangling, <laughs> after a mild strangling, I'd, I'd gone to work. It was after the um, restaurant thing, actually. I'd gone to work with a scarf around my neck because I did have fingerprints on, on my throat. And the scarf slipped while I was talking to her and she spotted the uppermost bruises. And she she was a doctor and she said, look, you know, you don't have to put up with that. And I sort of tucked the scarf back up again. So, yeah, yeah, fine. You know, sort of fobbed her off. But that's the thing, you see, you have to, you can't just ask the question once. You've got to keep asking it until you, until someone feels safe. It's, it's about feeling safe as well, feeling safe to talk to somebody. Mm. And it's very um, hard to feel safe anywhere. Yes, it is. Because you don't feel safe anywhere because they turn up at work. And that, that happened with my ex-husband, actually, when I got my first job after after we'd split up. He just walked in off the street into the office and he just looked at me and he said, OK, I know where you are now, turned and walked out. And that's all he needed just to needed do. Just needed to know where you were. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's God. all he needed to do to me, to terrify the wits out of mm -hmm. me. Yeah. That happened where I worked once. That's it. Not with me, but with one of my mm. colleagues. Her husband turned up at work and came into the office and caused mm. the most enormous scene. Mm. And it was absolutely mortifying to for you on her behalf. Yeah, that yeah. Just, what is this? And nobody did anything for ages because just kept thinking, this this can't possibly well, this you, can't possibly be happening. How is this happening? Why isn't somebody else stopping this? Yeah. You just want it to stop and go away. Yeah. You want it to stop. Yeah. You, but you don't know how to stop it. I guess what we can do to help is just maybe listen a bit harder and know the signs mm. to look out for. So yes. if friends do yeah. start do start showing them, spot them, and also don't expect that one conversation is going to mean that they're going to no. leave because it isn't. No, it easy isn't. To no, get you, out you've all. got to, it, it's, and that's fear. 
that's that's because you're frightened that he will find out. And it's the reason that I didn't, I wasn't able to leave my ex-husband um, for a long time, was was not knowing how I could take the children with me, where I could go, what I could do. That turned into an unholy mess. But but with, with Frank, he just seemed to be able to find me wherever I was. And when he would send a, a message, you it was I had a, used to have a real fight with myself not to reply. And it's it's actually very common for the abuse to carry on at work, that they will you know, work resources will be used to Perpetuate. He used to fax you. At he work. used to fax me mm. at work. Yeah, in the days of the fax. Um, yeah, three or four times a day. But other people were getting faxes at work, personal faxes at work. So I didn't question it. Question perhaps. it, and, and they were they were such lovely faxes that you. Well, they started off. Well, they started off. <laughs> that you sort of think, oh, this is actually quite nice, you know, because everyone else can see that you're wanted, but it's not. It's not really... There's a fine line from, oh, I'm always thinking about you, you're always on yeah. my mind, to, you are always on my yeah. mind. And yes. also it's it's performative, isn't it? That's so that other people can... Mm. It's not just that other people can see that you have a partner, mm. but that you, it, it's so that... It's almost pissing on his property, isn't yes, it? It's, it's a mess for everyone. Yeah. Well, this, I, is this, the, is my, yeah. this is my partner. I send her five faxes a day. Yeah. Stay clear. Well, this is the thing with gift giving, isn't it? And how many films do you see where, where somebody who's, who's in, in love, makes the inverted commas sign, um, fills somebody's flat with flowers? Yeah. I, I can't look at that the same way. Now it's not. Someone was telling me that it's marking you. The piano outside that. Yes, and, that and, was and interesting. And for the first couple it? of days, the yeah. media just all reported it as yes. if it was really yeah. sweet. Oh, look, yeah, yeah. love actually is real. Yeah. He turned yes. up outside his girlfriend's yeah. flat, his ex-girlfriend, with residence, with residence, residence yeah, and said he was going to play her favourite song until she took him back. Yeah, that's not romantic. That's no. What's that if it's not coercive control? It's it's shaming you into. Yeah, it's quite embarrassing, isn't it? It's. I feel the same way about public. Can proposals? I would say no. Out yes, of me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's a way of yeah, yeah. It's a way of making of you making do it. You do you don't it. Want to yeah. If you anyone. don't want to do yeah. it, yeah. Helen, yeah. thank you so much for talking to us, and thank you so much for writing. Look what you made me do. I mean, I certainly <laughs> recognise lots of stuff, and I think it's a really important and brave read. And that isn't meant to be patronising, but having been so frightened to actually put it down on paper, it's. Thank you so much. Thank you for reading it and for having me here. And and it's actually, ultimately, it's a positive story because I'm here. And the brilliant thing is that in writing it, although I feel it, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't absolutely terrified about people knowing far more about me than they perhaps would wish to, but it's got rid of the shame. I don't have the shame because it's there now and everybody knows about it. So the hold over me has gone. <laughs> 